Did your favorite NFL team win the Super Bowl? No? Then the NFL Draft is your Super Bowl. I'm Danny Heifetz, and from now until the draft, we are turning our fantasy football show feed into the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we talk about the top players and most important storylines for the NFL Draft. So join us on the Ringer NFL Draft Show. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello, welcome to the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Megan Schuster. I will be your host today, and I am joined by my wonderful colleague, Juliet Littman. Juliet, how are hey, you? Hey, Megan. I'm so delighted to be here. It's going to be great. It was a great season of Drive to Survive. It was. I had a, a great time watching the whole thing. Uh, Juliet is joining us to chat about the last five episodes of season five. So if you haven't already, be sure to check out our recap with Jody Walker on the first five episodes that went up a little bit earlier this week. Um, and sort of prerequisite spoiler warning that if you haven't watched the last five episodes yet and you are planning to, to pause, come back, uh, we will be here. Great episodes. Um, yeah, these five were very illuminating in a lot of ways. Some like interesting character studies, getting into the drama of all of the new kind of cost cap regulations and Red Bull breaching those, um, some silly season stuff. We can get into kind of all the episode specifics in just a bit. But Juliet, I wanted to start with just kind of your overview of the last five episodes. Were they what you expected? Did you like need any more of stuff, less of stuff? Just what did you think overall? Well, I assume you talked about this with Jody. The weirdest part of the season was just not addressing the explosion, bombing, whatever happened in Saudi Arabia. Yes. And- yes. <laughs> And that's, like, a huge bummer. Can't say I'm surprised based on how they also, like, didn't acknowledge the Black Lives Matter stuff in the um, mm-hmm. 2020 season and and whatever. Um, so I'm not surprised, but I feel like I was really expecting that through the first half. Plus, it was early on in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I was happy with – I kind of enjoyed the second half of the season, like, episodes 6 through 10, more – than one through five because I felt like I had I had the proper expectations by episode six mm-hmm. and I was like willing to like let go of some of my gripes. Plus, I just found re- rewatching the like the like the heartbreak of Charlotte Claire really upsetting. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so focusing on some of the other storylines in the in the back half of the season was really good. Um, and honestly, like I would say, my episode six through ten MVP. Otmar, what a what a great showing from him. 
Mm-hmm. That was, uh, yeah, very, very interesting because, you know, when all of that silly season stuff was going down, I was thinking of all of the driver drama, you know, with Fernando Alonso ditching Alpine and going to Aston Martin and all of that stuff. But I hadn't really thought about the, like, team principal portion of this and sort of the Otmar versus Zach Brown versus Lauren Stroll versus, you know, all of that kind of interconnectedness and especially Otmar having previously been at Aston Martin. That was like very interesting. But yeah, he really uh, his home in Oxford looks lovely. His dog looks adorable. And (laughs) yeah, he had some like some pretty hot takes about all the drivers and all of the grit drama. It was, uh, yeah, very, very fascinating. And also we got to see him picking up dog shit. So I got well, it. Yeah. <laughs> both metaphoric and uh and real. You know, yes. when that was go when that was going down with when so I guess like that's like a good place to jump in, right? Like it's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. one of the most important things that's happened last season in Formula One and the season of the TV show with Piastri going to McLaren, even though Alpine announced he was joining their team. Mm-hmm. Like at the time, there was so much emphasis on Fernando Alonso um, and like what a dick he can be. And I, I guess it is. And he clearly like seems to relish being. Um, yeah. I thought that they, I thought that the show did a really good job of like actually, they don't always capture the moment so well. And so I, mm-hmm. I thought they captured the moment of what was happening in real time really well. Plus, like I feel like I definitely learned more. By hearing so much from Amar, because I feel like we we heard a lot from Zach Brown at the time. We heard from Fernando Fernando Alonso, but we didn't really get the Alpine side of things. Like what? Like what? Mm-hmm. You know more than I do. So like, what did you learn from the show? Like that we didn't know previously about that whole saga. Yeah. So this is primarily covered in episode six, um, and yeah, I mean, it was just very fascinating. I think watching the whole grid learn about this in real time. We get this wonderful shot of Christian Horner camping with his family and Ginger Spice doing a live reenaction <laughs> of Oscar Piastri's incredible I will not be driving for Alpine tweet. So like seeing their reaction to all of this was was very, very special. But yeah, I mean, I learned a lot. I, you know, learned that Alpine was kind of out for blood initially. They went to uh, Zach Brown or Otmar did and basically said, you know, we invested at least $4 million in this kid as he's, you know, coming up through the ranks, through driver academies and things, expecting that he would ultimately drive for our team. And he, you know, threatened to sue Oscar Piastri for, you know, to get that money back. And Zach Brown, of course, was uh, reluctant because apparently Oscar had some clause in his deal where McLaren might be required to help him pay that back or at least help with legal fees and things. So that was really interesting. The fact that McLaren seemed to go to Alpine and kind of try to leverage Daniel Ricardo as a potential option to yeah. get them to not <laughs> sue was interesting. Yeah, so I, I loved that moment. So uh, uh, Zach Brown goes to Alpine um, and is like, basically, do you want to do a swap? Like, Piastri yeah. for, for Daniel. This is a tough Daniel watch, but like also fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I feel like when Zach Brown walked out of the Alpine office, he felt like he nailed it. He was like, cool, did oh, my yeah. job. He was like, so sure that was going to work. And uh-huh. definitely did not. <laughs> so this was this was a start for me where I, I found Zach Brown fairly insufferable over the second half of the season for a number yeah. of reasons. And we can get into some of those later on in the episodes too. But yeah, like really, really celebrating the Piastri signing. Yeah, trying to pawn Daniel Ricardo off basically so that they wouldn't have to, you know, kind of like pay him out along with all of these other expenses and then get sued on top of that. Um, 
he, he was just really a lot this whole season. And I felt he like was. he was trying to be the new Christian Horner or something. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, Christian is great television. And that's one of the reasons why this show is, I think, much better than the tennis show. And I haven't watched the golf one yet, but I heard it's not as good as well. And it's um, it's just not surprising. Like, the drivers are interesting. And the drivers are, you know, like... I just find, I always find their command of English, like, so impressive. I can't speak mm-hmm. any other language. And, like, these guys no. all speak, like, three. And I don't know. Like, I feel like um, Pierre Gasly, like, speaks idiomatically in a way that, like, I just find really <laughs> impressive, which is maybe low expectations, but whatever. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's true. Like, even just seeing Daniel Ricardo, like, after he kind of found out about all of this, he was chatting with some random person in the paddock that I didn't know. And I think he was speaking yeah. Italian, which I he guess was. his family is Italian, so maybe that's how he knows. But it seemed like you know, pretty good Italian from my yeah. non-Italian no, speaking perspective. It's it's really interesting. But to your to your point, like the reason this show is so good is actually because of the principles and because mm-hmm. they are as competitive as the drivers, if not more mm-hmm. so. And they are also like all really wealthy and also really smart. Cause like the thing about Formula One is also different than golf and tennis, is they are truly team sports. And I, I do feel right. like this this season emphasize the teams in a way or maybe i was just more aware of it um that i think is really true to the sport and also like good for the drive to survive audience to be Mm -hmm. um given privy to because that that ultimately is like why i think the show is is so good and like why the sport is so fascinating and kevin clark pointed this out really early on but like there's just so much inherent conflict that yeah between people not like within someone's psyche like a tennis player so right right (laughs) um and so anyway get back to christian he just like he vamps like he he gives us what we want ginger spice Mm -hmm. obviously loves it as well they yes um invite them into their home like and on their camp vacation (laughs) how many times do you think we've seen christian's home in total over five seasons or his land or wherever a lot (laughs) A lot. And I got to say, there was one shot of Jerry, Ginger Spice, where she was wearing these white cut-off denim shorts, and I was really envious of them. She looked really good mm-hmm. in them. <laughs> um, she looks great. Wonderful. Yeah. All the time. She does. Her. She's like, I also, she looks her age, and I have like a whole, I have like a whole agenda about like women aging gracefully without having to look a different age, mm-hmm. which I really, really mm-hmm. appreciate. So thank you, Ginger mm-hmm. Spice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... I kind of found Christian by the end a little a little bit annoying, but um, mm-hmm. this was more more true in the first half. And but I was just my biggest surprise is how much Max was on the show. Um, yes, I yes. also think he got a really favorable edit um, mm-hmm. by not by not playing his um, like any of his audio from the car, basically, or very a very limited amount. You get like yep. a much more po- polished and poised version of Max Verstappen, which is like definitely not what you get week over week. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I was. I, I, I think they like they like probably convinced him to do it by being like, "We'll be nicer to you" or whatever, or like, "We'll help you rehab your image." I, I was going to ask you about that because, like you said, they didn't play any of the stuff from Brazil when you know he refused to let Checo go past him, and there was all of that drama about that, which. I fully thought we were going to see in the Checo episode, which is episode seven, which, you know, we can just kind of dive into the whole Red Bull situation there. But yeah, I Love mean, Checo. really like me too. So great. But yeah, really the the main Max points was like when he was winning the championship, when he was talking about Mick Schumacher and the fact that, you know, they used to go on vacation together as kids and 
Um, I, I, I was sort of wondering if, if maybe you thought there was like some sort of handshake deal or at least kind of an easing him back into it where, you know, they don't maybe want to ruffle feathers so early on when he has just kind of returned. Yeah. So I, I didn't know that you got to choose your number first if you win. So that's like why he switched to one. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just because I'm I'm a newbie still. But I just wonder if like there are certain strings that come with winning. Like you become the face of the sport. And so since he won in 2022, like was he or he won in 2021, like was he more obligated to be involved in 2022? Mm-hmm. Um I also do think that this television show has become such a huge part of the marketing engine uh, yes. of NPR of the sport that to like fully opt out of it um, is probably like just like a bad business decision. And so I, I wonder if Red Bull got to like have if, I wonder if Red Bull was like there was some kind of quid pro, like quid pro quo where they're like, we'll talk about the the um, the cap scandal but like yeah let's be nicer to max or something like that because it they did go pretty in depth about that yes they do that i think was one of the more interesting episodes of the whole season to me and something that i feel like is a little bit newer to drive to survive is the fact that you know they're focusing a little bit less on just the people specifically and are kind of starting to incorporate more of the like politics of the sport and sort of the internal kind of struggles. And I, and I actually thought they did like a, a fairly effective job explaining the cap stuff. Um, I, I didn't feel like they did a very good job in the first few episodes explaining, you know, the new kind of car regulations and what all was Not happening there. Even though they had a whole episode about porpoising, it didn't really feel like they explained why that was happening or anything. But um, I, I thought their, yeah, episode nine, I think it was over the limit where yeah. they talked about all of the cost cap breach stuff. Um, I thought that was like very effective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I also think um I thought that six and eight were kind of companions. Six was the Oscar Piastri scandal. And then I mm-hmm. think eight is um the Yuki Sonoda episode and like the yes. Alpine episode. Yep. This show treats Yuki really weirdly. Maybe that's just like how everyone treats him, but like they definitely like degrade him in a way. Mm-hmm. Um which continued with like Pierre Gasly, like just like being, which I, I think in context, like of their relationship probably is fine, but I feel like Pierre Gasly is just sort of like big brothering him and sort of like, yeah, in a, in a weird way. But I did, I did think that like those two episodes go, went together really well in terms of like mm-hmm. explaining how you rise and like why you switch teams um, and, and things like that. But I, I agree with you. I, I would have liked for them to explain like, why the cars change so much, but um, I just thought that, like, I know I'm jumping around a lot. I apologize, but with no, Christian being good. like, it was four hundred thousand dollars on like pickles or like catering or whatever. It's <laughs> right, just like right. any anyone like that's like you know that's why there's tax fraud. Like, there's a lot of ways <laughs> to like mess around with accounting and like with your with your budget and like mm-hmm. allocate money in different places. So even though you're saying like you went over with. Um, like, you know, benefits for your staff. Like, that's such bullshit. And also, I really, um, I thought it was funny how he, like, invoked mental health because I feel like people think yes. that's, like, a silver bullet to protect yourself. Like, I was taking care of my staff's mental health. But it's like, okay, <gasps> what would really help is, like, fighting for an extra week off or, like, one less race mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. But no. <laughs> when he, when he, yeah, so Zach Brown band, there's Zach Brown band, Zach Brown, um, <laughs> 
<laughs> excuse a slip of the tongue, you know. Um, so he Same writes demo. this whole this whole open letter. This this was the other episode where I found him just a bit insufferable. It seemed like he was trying to kind of be like the protector of Formula One and writing this yeah. open letter about how detrimental this cost cap breach was and how, you know, Red Bull should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. And like, not that, you know, Toto and Mattia Bonotto weren't saying the same things, but he just went so above and beyond in saying it. And they interviewed about him him about it so much that I found it a, a bit annoying. But yeah, so they're in the, you know, team principal interview together and Christian is saying that it's, you know, egregious and ridiculous that Zach Brown would write this. And then, and yeah, says it's also irresponsible and like detrimental to his employees' mental health to have to have all of these accusations being thrown around and just, yeah, really, really like stunning out of left field. It felt like somebody like had told him before the interview, like, yeah. And you know, if you talk about mental health, then like they can't say anything negative about yeah. you. And it's like, it's the silver bullet. Yeah. Not really how that works. Very, very fascinating. Um, uh, I took us away from Checo. Should we go back to episode seven? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Checo quickly. Um, this was another one where I felt like it was sort of a favorable Red Bull edit overall and the fact that the Checo episode really only focused on Monaco, which is where he won this year. Um, so yeah, it, it it basically is like kind of a, you know, not a bottle episode in that way, but yeah, it only really focuses on Monaco. Um, Checo crashes in qualifying, starts third for the race. Um, I'm pretty sure Christian Horner like went home and did a rain dance overnight to get inclement weather for the Sunday <laughs> of the race to try and get the Ferraris on their back foot. And then, yeah, Ferrari messes up its strategy once again, sends, you know, both Sainz and Charles into the pits at the same time. And then Checo gets a lead and gets a new deal. Um, How does Ferrari make that mistake over and over? Like, how does that, I mean, during last season, everyone was talking about this too. I think hearing their team radio, like in multiple episodes and multiple races of them screwing up the pitting strategy Mm -hmm. is like, isn't that just like fundamental to Formula One. Like, how yes. can you fuck that up so bad? <laughs> well, and then I thought it was useful in Drive to Survive to just hear all of the other team principals talking about it because, you know, for for me and for us, like in media, to all, we were all critical of it. But I think it was really interesting to just hear, you know, Christian Horner being like, what the hell are they doing? And, and all of these other guys up and down the grid being so confused and just generally lost by it was, yeah was wild to me that that this could be going on on like the you know maybe most recognizable brand and team on the grid and like all of like cars i would say like ferrari might be like the most famous brand in like commercial vehicles luxury vehicles racing vehicles (laughs) like it's it's pretty it's pretty astounding also just the fact that it seemed like there was legitimate like miscommunication and like changing of directions and like a frantic way that you definitely never get from like Mercedes and Red Bull. It was totally. And ever. Yeah, it was, it was super weird. I mean, to Checo's gain in Monaco for sure. Um, You know, it's interesting that his seat was not like a slant, like his, his, the contract extension wasn't a a given or a no brainer Mm -hmm. just because he was, he won the championship for Max. Like I, I stand by that in 2021 without, without Checo. Like Max doesn't win. And so it's almost like, you know, we heard so much about loyalty from, from Otmar. The mm-hmm. teams have, the teams have less loyalty than the drivers for sure. And completely. And so to hear like a principal going on and on about that. And then meanwhile, um, Christian's like questioning 
if they're going to re-sign Checo, which I'm sure was a little bit exaggerated for the cameras, was just like really like bizarre and surprising to me. Yeah, he was throwing around so many other names as possibilities, one of which was even Lando, which I thought was really, really fascinating. And that's something that um, Spanners and I have talked about on, you know, an episode earlier this year about like why he hasn't kind of risen up yet. And I think part of it is just lack of opportunity. But also my my guess is McLaren is trying to hold on to him very, very tightly. But yeah, I mean, I, I felt you know, I really felt for Checo this whole episode. I thought it was kind of funny when, um, you know, Ginger and Christian are talking at their house and she's saying how much she loves Checo. And he's just like, yeah, well, you know, it's a business and um, it's it's brutal. Red Bull's always been brutal. Um you know, when they kind of run down the list of of Max's teammates over his years there, um, you know, Danny Rick, Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon, Checo. Um, I, I kind of wonder if if we would think any differently of him if if he had, you know, a fifth teammate already. Um, yeah, if that's if that's more on him or if it's more on Red Bull, I guess is kind of an interesting question for me. But um, well, it, it certainly would have been weird. I also wonder, well, obviously, you know, they won 2021 with the previous cars, but which is also when they went over the cap. So there's that. But um, (laughs) but (laughs) I do I do wonder if the change in car regulations really kind of changed the trajectory of Red Bull in general, Mm -hmm. Um, because by getting a second championship for Max and their first constructor since 2013, it just it really reframes the narrative for them and for Checo. Um, in terms of like where they are. And and I, I think that Red Bull absolutely deserved to win this year, this past year. And I think, you know, even, even though they went over the cap, I think I don't really, I don't think that like Red Bull's machinations is why Max won. I mean, I definitely take issue with the final Abu Dhabi race, but you know, he's, uh, he is obviously like an amazing driver and like a really Mm -hmm. talented competitor. So like not to take that away from him, but it does sort of just change like how you think about the team. And if they hadn't won either in 21, Max hadn't won 21, they hadn't won 22, like maybe it would have been different. Um, we, yeah. we just don't know. Um, I thought the other thing that the Monaco episode did was also like some image rehab for Checo, who was seen partying after Monaco when he won with not his wife. And he does have mm. young children who, who were referenced uh, in, mm-hmm. the episode, in the season multiple times. And they mm-hmm. really try to like paint him as like this great family man, which yes. I think is probably at least partially true. But he mm-hmm. also he issued like a public apology shortly after Monaco <laughs> for being like, sorry, I was seen, I was photographed with women who weren't my wife. And every <laughs> this is what professional athletes do. I would never marry one. Word, word of advice. But <laughs> but like I, that was noticeable to me as well. Yes, yes. The yeah, it, and it was funny. It, it did definitely seem like they shoehorned in some of the family references. Like there was the one conversation with Chris, Christian where he was asking about the new baby, and and it was just like that one scene. It wasn't like a full conversation between the two of them. It, it was very funny to me to see that, and and also yeah. the fact that like their sort of like humbling thing about Checo or you know the off track image that they had of him was doing a photo shoot. I was like, did you just not get time with him, or or what really happened? I. I didn't really feel like I learned anything about him from his performance in the photo shoot, but I, I digress. What did you make of the fact that they used like a very small number of races for so much of the show? Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I, I was a little bit curious about that. I, I wonder if like, you know, if they know that they're going to do 
a Yuki focus in Japan if if maybe they send more camera people there and that's why they have extra footage from there or um, if if they just kind of like look at the schedule and know that they're going to target certain races and have you know people there generally but just extra cameras there for those I I don't know did, did you have any theories on it I, I was a little bit stumped about why they kept going back to so many of the same ones. Yeah, because it was like it, it made it seem like it rains every week in Formula One. It definitely does yeah, not. Um, yeah. Though they yeah, do like, all, <laughs> it is like a fun event. The fact that it rained um, in Monaco and Japan just like <laughs> made it seem like it always rains because mm-hmm. they use those races a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you, sh- you know, we should talk to the maker, the people who make the show. It's like an incredible feat. Um, but I, I think, I, I think maybe part of it has to do with a like what they don't want to cover. Like they couldn't use a lot of the Saudi Arabia stuff, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, that's only one race of 23. But I I do think that there's probably like some logistical aspects of it. But then also like there's so many drivers who who, who are not on the show. Like Seb Vettel, right, was on it like very briefly, only to announce his um, retirement. And like obviously that's mm-hmm. kind of like in line with how he carries himself. Um, but there was almost no Alex Albon. There was literally no Valerie mm-hmm. Botas after we became very familiar with his behind in a previous season. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like there, I really loved all the Ferrari stuff. But, like there, even in a way was like less Charles, like, um, yes. there was a, a lot of like racing Charles, but not a lot mm-hmm. of like at, at home with, um, and I think they just like probably have to pick a couple of characters. You can't like cover all of it. And, um, you know, they obviously are sad to be losing Daniel, like the Daniel montage at the end. <laughs> that was so sweet. I got like, I got a little bit emotional. I'd forgotten about, yeah. you know, I remember that he was sort of the first guy that they ever really introduced you to, but I'd forgotten so much about, you know, the Renault year was like completely lost from my brain. Um, yeah, very, Not very me. sweet. Very, I, I hope he is back in it in some way now that he's back with Red Bull. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, I would be sad if we get zero Daniel Ricardo for the 2023 season. I think there's such an advantage to Red Bull, again, marketing-wise, to having Daniel be, like, mm-hmm. their sort of, their spokesperson and almost, like, mm-hmm. re- in, like, this new era, Formula One, like, redefine the role of a reserve driver in some ways. Yeah. Because, like, instead of it being a young, like, a young up-and-comer, like a Nick DeVries or an Oscar Piastri or a Logan Sargent, like, having, like, an elder statesman who who is absolutely beloved is like great is like it's like a it's like a team ambassador or whatever so i wonder mm-hmm. if that will change and red bull does you know is obviously very savvy with their marketing so i wonder mm-hmm. if that'll be a piece of it and i think um ferrari signing mick seems like that will be could like apply to them as well mm-hmm. yeah and i feel like red bull too is you know fair seems fairly secure in in their positioning toward the top of the grid so maybe they feel like we have Max locked down for, you know, ever as as our young superstar. And maybe they think that they don't need to use that reserve driver role so strictly as like nurturing young talent because they feel like they could get maybe whoever they want for the second seat right now by like yeah. throwing money at people. Like like everyone wants to be at the top of the grid. So you might mu- you have to think that if they did end up reaching out to somebody like Lando Norris eventually and like gave him enough money that he would jump ship for that. But yeah. Um yeah, yeah. it is very interesting. I think also Max Max buttoned up the driver championship really early. Mm-hmm. And I did think that the show did a good job of making the race for second really compelling, particularly from yes. the Mercedes perspective. But like week to week when you're watching Formula One and someone 
seals seals it up by like you know the tw- like what he had it like race eighteen or something like that or even yeah. fewer like after like pretty shortly after the summer break like mathematically he he had won so mm-hmm. I think that also changes like what the the value of some of the other races um, and also like you know by choosing to not focus on like the rivalry between Max and Checo it makes the later races less significant yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, their big blow up, yeah, was in Brazil and while Checo was battling to try and get second in the driver's championship, which they don't ever really address that again. I mean, like you said, they go into second and third for the constructors, but I I was kind of waiting for that Checo-Charles battle that never really materialized. We we even only got one shot of that infamous um, Charles scream, which I was surprised by. I thought for sure we would get some sort of in-depth thing about that. The only real Charles drama we got was a little bit of strategy stuff and then that image where Matteo was kind of like finger-wagging at him after a race, which um, I will remember forever. Very sad. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was weird. I, I was surprised we didn't get much of that. Um, um, another big surprise was Gunther saying he lives in North Carolina. Like that's not yeah. even like that's his that is that's his primary residence. He says that in one of the in one of the later episodes. And mm-hmm. obviously, these people all have, like a lot of homes, and he yes. spends times in the Dolomites. Obviously, as we learned in the first half. But mm-hmm. the fact that he he lives in North Carolina, I'm like, why? Like, I mean, great, no shots, but like. It's just really weird to me. He's like a lovely lake house in like the Blue Mountains, it's, I assume. It's really lovely. Yeah, his his jet skiing, his cute dog grilling out back. I was like, you've really embraced the whole like Americana <laughs> thing of of all of this. It was it was very very heartwarming, very sweet. <laughs> yeah, um, he's the best. He's he's just so great. great, and I love how he gets razzed for being famous and like for the cameras <laughs> loving him and and everything. <laughs> I I do too. I do too. This episode is brought to you by ArmorAll. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use ArmorAll to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, ArmorAll, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, episode eight, we touched on a little bit already, but it's the Yuki episode. Um mm. I'm very over the fart jokes and them showing the fart jokes, which is maybe something along the lines of what you were talking about earlier with sort of the kind of weird way that um, Drive to Survive and I think Alpha Tauri a bit too treats Yuki. Um, It did seem like he and Pierre have somewhat of a charming friendship and they both seem to be like genuinely sad to not be racing together in 2023. I love Gasly. Sorry, I just had to interject. I love that guy. I do too. And this is kind of a new development for me. I, over the first couple of seasons of Drive to Survive, wasn't, you know, totally enamored. But within the last few years, I, I find him like super relatable, super personable. Like, you know, the scene of him kind of joking with the Alpha Towery staff and asking for gossip and not wanting to go do media, I found very cute. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally and I'm, agree. I'm, I'm really excited to see him in Alpine next year. I think their car Same. is really good. And, if they keep up their kind of production, I think he could, you know, battle with Esteban Ocon for the number one spot on that team, which would be really, really Definitely. Fun. I think Gasly is, like, proven he's a better driver. Like, he's done more with mm-hmm. less so yes. far. Totally. Totally. He's come so, a very, very long way from when we saw him flame out on the Red Bull team. <laughs> so, oh very God. happy for him. Very happy for him. Poor guy. But yeah, so, <laughs> poor guy. So the big kind of question with Yuki is like, what is going to happen to him next year with Pierre gone? He is, you know, 2023 is the last year of his contract. Nick DeVries is coming in and, um, you know, he had that kind of wondrous result in the Williams earlier in the year where he managed to score points in his F1 debut. Um, But overall, this episode made me kind of worried for Yuki's future. They paint him as a, a little overly aggressive, a little bit reckless with the car, which he is. I mean, he had... 18 point or 18 races this year where he didn't score a point, which is not great and, you know, very inconsistent or very consistent in the negative way, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, what do you think happens with him this year? What do you expect from him? I, I think it's going to be tough. I, I mean, I don't want to give Debris too much credit, but um, he just like personality wise, we you know, he is, he's really accomplished. Seems like Will Buxton's really excited about him. He's like, <laughs> he is the real deal. Um, yes. yes. And it, it just, it just seems like he wants to be like taken really, he wants to be taken seriously right away. And that's sort of mm-hmm. like the impression I got. And, you know, scoring points in the Williams in your first Formula One race is really impressive. So like, ha- you know, I, I don't think you can overstate that. Like it's not the best car by any means. And he, and it was his first F1 race, like we said. So I don't know. I, I don't know the future for Yuki. And I think that like, it just seems like there's some kind of weird institutional bias against him and, or, or not really taking him seriously. And maybe he doesn't mm-hmm. do himself any favors with that, but it also just seems like without a um, collaborative teammate like Gasly, I feel like it could, it could be even worse. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think, you know, DeVries seemed very intent in his, you know, drive to survive interviews with saying that he's coming in and, and trying to take over the top seat on that team and trying to really prove himself and, you know, kind of quickly advance within Formula One. So it definitely seems like it's going to be the opposite environment from what Yuki's had over the past two years with Pierre. Um, Nick is not 
trying to mentor. Not that he can. This will be his rookie year. And um, it seems like he's really intent in kind of carving out his own place and yeah. less so in, in being a collaborative teammate. Um, so that <laughs> might be hard. I, I, I really do hope that Yuki kind of takes a step forward this year and at least gets more consistent and more safe with the car. He had a, a lot of DNFs this year and just yeah. a lot of overall tough performances. And, and I, but when he does stay on track, like we saw in this episode, he can be very quick and he can, you know, make overtakes and and do well. Um, I, I just hope we get a chance to see that in 2023. That's me yeah, too. Best of luck, Yuki. Like. Best of luck. We're all, we're all big fans. Um, <laughs> so then episode nine, um, we've talked about a bit already, but the Red Bull cost cap breach um, and also Max winning the driver's championship was covered in this episode and Red Bull winning the constructors. Um, But I found it really interesting to see the progression of the cost cap rumors and how, um, you know, news of that was kind of flying up and down the paddock before we got anything official and how, you know, Toto and Mattia were kind of talking about this behind the scenes and seemed like everyone around F1 was aware of it before it became official. And Christian was trying to do some preemptive damage control in the media as he does. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt I like I learned quite a bit about the process. And I I will say I, I, f- I came away feeling like a lot of the drama and controversy around this, like certainly belonged to Red Bull for breaching the cost cap. But I also felt like a lot of it ended up being kind of the FIA's fault. Um, wow. It didn't seem like they shot. had... It didn't seem like they had... Uh, much in the way of specific punishments laid out, which was yeah. a big flaw in their plan to me. Like they have kind of a whole, s- a s- you know, span of them from, you know, a-, a slap on the wrist to a big fine to, you know, points disqualification to all of that stuff. But it didn't seem like they really had strictly written rules about what was going to happen to you if you did X, Y, and Z, which coming to F1 from an American sports landscape, like the NFL, the NBA, all of these leagues have, you know, very strict structures in place. Or if you go over the cap, this is what's going to happen to you. And some organizations like in the NBA will do, you know, the luxury tax and they will happily pay the penalty for all of this. But it didn't really seem like F1 had any of that in place and ultimately left it up to their president to determine this. And that kind of allowed a lot of people to be lobbying in the media in various directions. And it turned it into like a whole, a whole scandal and a whole shebang. And yeah, just, just kind of a mess overall. I don't know. What, what did you learn from, from this episode? I I loved hearing them talk, you know, I loved hearing them talk about how to use the press and like what they would and would not go to the media with. I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. That also, that sort of like meta commentary though, also makes me think about like what they know they're saying um, in front of the cameras versus what they're not. One of the reasons the Zach Brown swap conversation was so interesting to me is because we heard it, but we didn't see it. And yes. so I wonder, I wondered like if he, how aware they were of that. Like, did they know they were still mic'd up, but they weren't on camera? Like, they, like things like that. Cause these are really mm-hmm. smart people. They're not like total idiots. And I, I think that even like the sort of going to the Alpine office or whatever, was like clearly such like a, a planned moment. So I, I felt similarly with Zach Brown's whole performance through this scandal as well, <laughs> like his open letter where like he was using it as a moment for McLaren, um, totally. which I guess, which I guess is smart, but it was so much less. It seemed like about the, the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. And that's where how like things really devolved and why Christian and the, why we're like talking about like their catering or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean like, 
it seems like one of the things with Formula One and is that like there's just so many different eventualities that can happen um, that it doesn't seem like all of them are planned for, but it's almost like being able to plan for every of every outcome in like game theory. And that's like basically yeah. impossible. This one is pretty straightforward, like, great, you know, <laughs> like, like a going over the cost cap. But when they have like restarts and stuff and people are like, why are we doing that? I kind of understand why like there can be some room for debate. It's like, so there's some subjective stuff, but this one, it was like sort of inexplicable um, that yes. there could be so much debate about the punishment. But I do a lot of questions about like, how are things checked? And like, do you turn in receipts? Like who, like, Mm-hmm. Who's the financial team that's like checking everything? You know, like is there is there always an audit? Like is Pricewaterhouse Cooper involved? Should they be involved? Like that kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah, it, I would I would love and, for more transparency on that. Yeah, yeah, because I don't even know. Like, how do you, you keep track of everything? I mean, is there, I don't I don't I just don't know. And so I think it's really interesting. Um, but to see Christian immediately going to damage control and like <laughs> basically like blame it on accounting. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought was just really telling that it probably was way more egregious than he's willing to acknowledge. Yes. The the fact that basically his, his initial explanation for it was that they failed to check a box on the paperwork that they submitted. And I was like, if, if it's that simple, then why don't you have five people checking over this paperwork and making yeah. sure that this box gets checked? That seems false. And then, yeah, blaming it on, health insurance for his workers and catering and things. It was, yeah, definitely a media ploy to like try and make it seem like they weren't cheaters. I I also found it funny when he tried to give a definition for what a cheater was to the Drive to Survive producers (laughs) and saying that you can't be a cheater if it wasn't intentional. I was like, I don't think that's really how this works. And also, I don't totally believe that this wasn't intentional in some way. You just were sloppy about the paperwork. So... At best, sloppy about the paperwork. At best, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I think. I think also the context of when they went over the cap is so important. It was a really tight championship race in 2021, mm -hmm. and Mercedes. I was about to say Mercury. Mercedes (laughs) had the better car. Like they just they Mm -hmm. objectively did. And so for Max and Checo to stay competitive you understand why they maybe were trying to squeeze in more upgrades and all of that. And so um, I, I thought that was interesting. And the the fact that it was 2020, the 2021 championship um, and not like the, the, the season that was ongoing at the time um, was just really interesting to me because I, I, I thought like they probably wanted to do everything possible to avoid bringing attention to that season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think that whole drama just really ensures this is going to be a big thing going forward. And that, you know, when all of these findings come out, you know, for the 2022 season, and when we hear about, you know, who is under, I, I'm, I'm assuming everyone will be under this time around. Who knows? I thought that would be the oh, case last I hope time. So. <laughs> but I, I think this just ensures that we will, you know, all have to be following this a lot more closely than maybe we expected <laughs> to have to going forward, which which I'm okay with. I, you know, I live for chaos in this sport. So anything that gives it to me is is good in my book. Um, and then, yeah, <laughs> you're looking after for. that. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and then we hit the season conclusion, episode 10. Um, just all overall kind of a conclusion episode. We get lots of Little funny snippets from the year, uh, the battle between Mercedes and Ferrari for second place, the battle between Alpine and McLaren for fourth, um, pretty much all Abu Dhabi footage. 
I thought it was a funny scene at the end when they finished the race and Ferrari basically gave Charles permission to do donuts on the track. That was that was pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, other than that, it was more an emotional Danny Rick montage at the end, just kind of a conclusion and then a look ahead at some of the stuff that might be on the docket for 2023. Um, did you find those two kind of on-track battles very compelling or did you kind of n- knowing yeah. how it ended? Um, did that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought the... I like, since I love Toto so much, like I had, I was like still in my head, even though I knew what happened, really mm-hmm. rooting for Mercedes. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I thought it was interesting. Um, I like really, when I, I really don't like revisiting losses when I like the teams. So yeah. it's, it's just like so upsetting. But yeah, I, I think, um, I think the, the Danny Rick montage is just so, so telling of like the place of this television show in sports and culture, which is like, it really made him into a different type of star than probably the sport was capable of having before. And so definitely Mm -hmm. it feels like a real end of a chapter for like, obviously the TV show, but also like this kind of like transitional moment for formula one as like a global phenomenon. And, um, I think that like what there, there's so much emphasis on the Las Vegas race. Like they, I, I mean, I guess it's because like Europeans, and like people internationally love Vegas. Like as an American <laughs> who's been to Vegas more times than I ever wanted, I'm just like it's like not high on my list of races to <laughs> attend. But there's so much emphasis on it. Clearly, people like the the league itself, I think, seems really excited to be like have this to have a footprint in the US now. Like there was so much excitement around Miami and and all mm-hmm. that that it's probably a good it's a good time to like have a couple of new three new young drivers, at least, or three, right? Piastri, Sargent, and DeVries. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, Sergeant's at Williams. I couldn't remember that. Anyway, so yeah. having three new drivers, including an American, is probably like just marketing and like sort of like the future of the league. It just sort of reminds me of like the NBA goes through this too, where stars come and go, and there's like usually like an interregnum in between, like in um between like the kind of peak of Kobe to like the peak of LeBron, and now it's like a little bit unclear exactly like who the biggest star is. I mean, you could talk, you know, it's up for debate. Like Anthony Edwards. Giannis is it still Steph mm-hmm. it's still LeBron like whatever and I think that like we're in a little bit of this trend like I think at least as an American it's a transitional moment for for F1 but I'm excited about it I think I think it's it's necessary for them to keep churning out stars for the sport to keep growing and for frankly for Americans to keep caring yeah no I'm with you I, I found you know the little images of the guys coming back and the new drivers on the grid like I, I got really excited. I, it really made me hype for the 2023 season, seeing Logan out there, even seeing Nico Hulkenberg back for Haas and and him and Kevin Magnuson kind of going back and forth about the uh, the incident that they had off the track a few years back in the in the interview paddock. Um, I found very, very interesting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to 2023. I think it'll be great. And I, I'll miss, you know, Daniel Ricardo's presence, but hopefully some of these young guys can be pretty interesting and maybe we'll get to learn a bit more about them as people and yeah, maybe we'll have kind of a new main character. I'm nervous for Charles Leclerc. He promised that Ferrari would win, that he would win. So I'm pretty nervous, man. I hope it works out. I'm torn between wanting Lewis to get his eighth and just wanting it to happen for Ferrari. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I do think mm-hmm. that um, both for, I watched the Red Bull launch and the production value was really low. So I had to turn mm-hmm. it off. I was like, this is not up mm-hmm. to F1 standards. But it seems like some of the other launches have been smoother. They just weren't 
touting like this, you know, Ford sponsorship. So it was not as yeah. much press, in my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think Ferrari's like sort of has the belt for that right now, right? With the fact yeah. that they, you know, with almost no pre-planning, took the car out on track and everyone, you know, on Twitter was saying that <laughs> this could have gone so poorly if the car looked bad or if it didn't work properly. Uh, but it, it worked out for him. It looked really fast. So fingers crossed that that's the case and we get a good championship this year. Um, overall, last few things. We already kind of covered who your MVP of these episodes are. Amar, man. Amar. Um, who was your least valuable player? Who did you wish that you saw less of or not at all of or any of that? I just did, do not care for Nick DeVries. So okay. that's tough. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't like his attitude. It just was like coming in trying to like, it's just, just calm down, man. It's your, it's your first <laughs> season. I don't know. I, di- I didn't care for him. Um, mm-hmm. I assume for you, it's Zach Brown. Yeah. And, and it really kind of came out of nowhere for me. Um, I, I just, I felt like he was trying too hard in a lot of ways. Um, I also came off a little rubbed the wrong way by Lando, which I've already slacked you about this a little bit, but <laughs> he just, he has this thing where he insists upon trying to dunk on Daniel when he's going through difficult times and reporters will ask him, oh, you know, do you have any sympathy for what he's going through? And it, it's so easy to say, yeah, you know, it's tough out here. It's hard to be a Formula One driver and leave it at that. And every time he just insists on saying, no, I have no sympathy for any of this. And I know, he's really an asshole. Like, he's not really yeah. a nice guy. <laughs> no. And then even when he's in the kitchen and he's complaining about the fact that the croissants are chocolate croissants and not regular croissants and has the cook, like, take the chocolate out of the middle of one of the croissants. I was like, what is happening here? This is really bizarre. Bizarre behavior. And in the Ferrari episode when he's playing paddle, paddle tennis with um, mm-hmm. the Ferrari guys. Mm-hmm. He like storms off at one point. Like I'm just like it's like I guess he's really really competitive. But yeah, I, I'm not a fan. Uh, yeah. I recommend his um, things he can't live without in the Strategist, part of New York Magazine. It's mm-hmm. hilarious. Spoiler alert: it includes Spotify, Capri Sun, Ooh. and his to- his Toomey backpack. <laughs> of course, of course, that seems reasonable. Um, how do you feel about Drive to Survive overall at this stage? My my last question for you. Is it still effective for you? How do you feel about, you know, the overall structure of it, the narrators, mm-hmm. um, anyone you're just kind of like wanting more of on the show, wanting less of on the show? Um, just kind of overall thoughts. I would like to get to know some of like the key mechanics and mm. um, race, race engineers. I mm-hmm. think that like that'd be really interesting as like a fan of the sport now. I'd love I'd lo- because you hear them a lot in the broadcast. So like hearing from those people who also foster some of the most important relationships in the sport, right. I think would, would be really interesting, especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Bono's like his own, it's like his own folk hero or whatever. Cause Lewis was so successful for a while. Mm-hmm. He still is. Um, so I would love to hear more from the, like the lead race engineers and like the key mechanics who are like, who are often like referred to as like, Oh, like we, you know, having more races is so unfair for the mechanics. So it's like, okay, let's hear from them. So there's right. that. I think that the show, when you really like commit to the sport and watch, we watch every race and whatever, like the gaps and the problems of the show become a lot more effective. It's still like a wonderfully made television program, but it is much more, um, feels much more like an extension of what like Formula One's trying to do in terms of marketing than it mm-hmm. does like documentary television. And I, and, yeah. and it's a credit to like the people who make the show that that's only apparent when you're following the sport. But then mm-hmm. it, it does become apparent. Like, it, it's pretty it's pretty unbelievable to not cover what happened in Saudi Arabia, which, yes. in case you don't remember, 
is the drivers met for hours about whether they were going to continue to have the race or not because um, there had been a bombing or an explosion, excuse me. I, th- I think it was like unclear mm-hmm. exactly what happened. And yeah, that's like, that's like a huge deal. Like for so many reasons for the sport, mm-hmm. for politics, international affairs, blah, blah, blah. And to not be able to, I can't imagine any documentarian would not want to cover that. So to me, right. I have to assume that's like a, they're just holds off limits. And so that's a real limitation. Um, mm-hmm. But that said, it's a great sport. And it's awesome that like they were able to nail this show to get so many new fans involved. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, now that I've been watching F1 seasons as they go and kind of coming to drive to survive at the end of it, I find that I appreciate both the season and drive to survive for like very different things. Like drive to survive almost feels more like a reality show to me now where like I'm invested in the lives of these people, but I want the drama of it. I don't necessarily care so much if it's a hundred percent in line with the season. Um, But that said, it is, it does have to be a mix and you can't leave out some of the major happenings that happened that went on during the year. Um, How do you feel about Will Buxton? I think I think it's time to get someone else in the mix a little bit. Mm-hmm. I really, I really like Will Buxton. No shots, but it's sort of like I feel like he's in a similar position to Tony Romo. We know all of his broadcasting mm-hmm. tricks. Yeah, that's and, a good. That's a good comp. <laughs> and sometimes you just got to bring another voice in. I want to say I thought Jenny Gao was not going to be in the show. She recently had some health issues. I believe she yes. had a stroke. Yes, I was delighted she that did. she was still in the show. I assume that was before. Um, she fell ill, but I just wanted to wish her the best because that's terrible. Yes. Yes. I, I was really happy to see her too. I, yeah, hope she's able to make a full recovery and yeah, hope, hope to see her more in future seasons. I feel like I always learn a lot from her and she is a very, very great, great and easy way of presenting things. So yeah, all the best to her. Um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on from this season? Jay? No. Okay. Bahrain, right around the corner. I'm so excited. I know we're so, so close to the 2023 season. I don't know that I'm emotionally prepared for it yet, but but getting very excited. Um, this has been the Ringer F1 show. Thanks to Juliet for joining us. Thanks as always to Erica Cervantes for the production help. And thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back very soon.